0: 77 was a hell of a wait. But my withdrawal, it sure did sate. In the position fetal, I saw bunnies bipedal. If you liked this limerick, please rate.
1: Do you want to know what the winning limericks were from our limerick submission? It wasn't really a competition. It was just like a thing. If there's a winner, it's a competition, Brady. (laughs) Well, there is a winner. I sort of cobbled together a judging voting system, which I'm sure will fail on several levels in the gray scale of appropriate voting systems, but it's what we've got. And it involves a combination of my votes, your votes, and a little public vote I ran on the side. Mm -hmm. We had a tie for second. So appropriately, I think we have two runners up and a winner. You're going to start with the runners up and then tell me who the winner is. Okay. Well, you can read one of the runners up, Brady
0: takes this ridiculous show to places it never should go. From swamp hens and rice rats to cricketers, nice bats. Gray's always the last one to know. So that's our first runner up. The other runner up
1: is, I have a message for Gray. I want him to see what I say, but I know he won't read it. He'll simply delete it. But Brady might send it his way. Mm -hmm. But the overwhelming winner. Overwhelming. The overwhelming winner. Yeah. Yeah. It was comfortable. It was comfortably the winner. I'll let you read it because you read it originally. My day had
0: been fairly mundane when HI started up in my brain, so I jumped to my feet, thought I must send a tweet at Brady Haran, I'm not on a plane. There you go. That's our overwhelming number one winner from the Limerick contest, which is not a contest, but it totally is a contest because there's something to win.
1: Now, the other kind of vote or ballot I ran after the last episode was you and I discussed the, is morphology the right word of the Easter bunny? What's the word for what the Easter bunny looks like and how it moves and things like that? The cryptozoology of the Easter bunny, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) you and I both believe that the Easter bunny was sort of like a standing up human-like bipedal character. But I put out there, Mm -hmm. and you weren't completely on board with this, that a lot of people believe the Easter bunny is like an on all fours rabbit-sized rabbit. Mm -hmm. So I did a vote, like a poll on Twitter, and asked people, you know, tall bipedal or rabbit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people voted. So, I'm quite happy with the sample size. Mm -hmm. And the numbers were pretty consistent almost from the start. That's a good sign. 60% of people think the Easter bunny is a standing up man in a rabbit suit type thing. And 40% have it as an actual bunny rabbit. 40%? I know. I was really surprised. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I don't understand how half the world
0: thinks. That makes no sense. I
1: know. My whole belief system has been pulled out from (laughs) underneath
0: me with this information. I would have assumed man-size Easter bunny, 95%.
1: Easy. No, not at all. i just having a quick browse through some of the Reddit comments that were put in. Someone here, Pook Lou, says the four-legged Easter bunny carries the basket in her mouth. Her, interestingly, Mm -hmm. it's a little basket that's like the TARDIS and can hold a great many (laughs) eggs. (laughs) It does sound kind of adorable. We have someone with a username that I can't read because it has a swear word in it. (laughs) But they say, I used to believe that the bunny laid chocolate eggs. I'm still not comfortable with the bunny laying the eggs. That's so wrong to me. (laughs) NZ Lion says Easter Bunny is a white Angora rabbit. Regular animalian form that moves around bipedally. Think March Hare. Oh. If that's of any help to you. That is. Okay. So, like Peter the Rabbit. Okay. Hmm. Anabusamama, if that's how you say it. <laughs> On the Easter Rabbit front, he this time, he is obviously a brown, brown this time, hmm. normal rabbit sized bunny with an egg shaped backpack. And he has special Easter hens laying the eggs for him. Wait, The same as Santa Claus's elves. We've got around the egg problem there by introducing special hens to the equation. Easter hens. No, no, this isn't. Wait, is this why Peeps exist? Are there supposed to be chickens at Easter? Well, I mean, you have chickens and eggs because it's about new life and stuff, isn't it? Although I have to say this person does lose credibility with their next sentence because they then claim the Tooth Fairy is a small fairy sized being in green clothing, obviously. And there's no way the Tooth Fairy dresses in green. Yeah, the Tooth Fairy is not Tinkerbell. Let's go back to
0: the hens, though, because I feel <laughs> I feel immediately sold on this idea. Like, oh, the Easter hens are like the peat of Easter. I can totally get behind this. No, you're introducing
1: unnecessary complication to the magic here.
0: No, I think if the Easter bunny is a bunny-sized bunny, the hens, that makes sense in my mind. I think I can get behind this. I mean, obviously, I'm still saying that the Easter bunny is a huge person. He can just handle it all on his own.
1: I don't know about the hens, because that implies <laughs> that for the rest of the year, the Easter bunny is like hanging out with a bunch of hens in like a house or a hutch or something. Like, I don't know. I just don't see rabbits and hens mixing it up like that. And why does the backpack have to be egg shaped? <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think this person's just making it up. If they are making
0: it up, I feel like this should be the start of a new tradition for the people who think that the Easter bunny is actually bunny size.
1: You have a whole little parade of animals wandering through your house depositing eggs. I think it makes perfect sense. No, I don't think it was implied that the hens do the trip with the Easter bunny to everyone's houses. I imagine they're back home like Santa's elves having done their hard work during the year.
0: Oh, okay. That's less adorable. I was imagining a small parade that the Easter bunny is leading (laughs) through the homes and then the hens disperse throughout the house to hide all the eggs. If they're
1: just staying back home in the hatchery or whatever, that's not as interesting. I don't like that as much. Obviously, when I pose the question, is the Easter bunny like a standing up person or a rabbit? Special shout out to all those people on the internet who replied, neither the Easter bunny isn't real. It's made up. <laughs> You're awesome. Yeah. Thanks,
0: man. That's what we were looking for. That's exactly the answer we were looking for. <laughs> Meat security, Brady.
1: I'm sorry. I got you a little bit excited by writing meat security in our show notes. And you like texted me and said, meat security, that sounds awesome. (laughs) I haven't actually really got much to say other than meat security is like a much bigger thing than I realized. Mm -hmm. Like I obviously brought up how amazed I was that when I was buying a steak at the supermarket, it had like all the security labels on it and you couldn't just walk out with it. Not that I was trying to walk out with it, but you know what I mean? No, of course not. I don't know. I must have sounded- genuinely interested in the topic when we discussed it in the last episode, because a lot of people wrote me quite detailed emails about it and sent me links. And it's like the stealing of meat is like a huge issue. And I just want to say to all those people, thank you for sending that. And, you know, you've opened my eyes to the problem. (laughs) I also want to do a special shout out to the person who wrote an email to me and said that they work in kind of the meat butcher industry. Mm hmm. And it's a really big issue. And if I want to know a lot more detail about it, he was willing to like send me another email. And that person was really smart because I haven't replied and I don't want to know a whole lot more about it. But they saved themselves the time of writing the really long email <laughs> by sending this preliminary email, basically saying, if I write you a wall of text, will you read it? And the answer is no. But they were smart enough to realize that. Yeah,
0: I'm going to throw an idea out there into the void, Brady, but I suspect that the people who write big walls of text on the internet, they're not short on time. (laughs) I think they have a lot of time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Meet security. There's like a Vice video about it and everything. So just Google it, people. You'll find out loads of interesting stuff. Much more actual information than you'll ever get on an episode of Hello Internet. Yeah,
0: because it sounds like you actually know nothing except that this just exists. Like, I keep waiting for some interesting facts about meat security, but I think it's not going to happen. I'm going to have to look it up myself.
1: Maybe we'll have like a special meat security episode at some stage. I think we won't. I think that is extraordinarily (laughs) unlikely. I had a knock on the door today. Like a delivery person was there with these three big boxes. I had no idea what it was because I hadn't ordered anything and mm-hmm. it didn't look like sort of the shape of clothes that my wife would have ordered. <laughs> so I thought, what is this? And it was actually the boxes were quite a similar size to the boxes all the vinyl records were sent in. So I thought, why am I receiving a whole stack of records? Like has something gone wrong? Or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I opened them that I realised what they were. They were silver buttons. And among them was our Hello Internet silver button.
0: More silver
1: play buttons for Brady. (laughs) More silver buttons. They've changed the box so the box doesn't match my other pile of boxes I have with all the other ones in (laughs) there, which does sort of do my head in a little bit. But I think the buttons are pretty similar. So anyway, I've now got, I think I've now got nine here. I've got one more coming. My objectivity one's in the post. Mm -hmm. When I get that one, I'll have them all together and I'll get them together for like a family photo or something. And then I'm going to distribute them to various homes. So the boxes are different, but is the case that they come in different? Or have you not even opened to look? I had a look. Okay. It looks similar. I haven't compared it with the previous ones. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you another interesting thing I noticed though. I mean, this sounds like a humble brag, but it's not, you know, I've already done the brag of the buttons. This is just me talking now. <laughs> when I opened all three to check they were right, each one on top has like a pro forma letter with mm-hmm. like a facsimile signature of the chief executive of YouTube writing this big gushing, isn't everybody awesome email, Mm -hmm. telling me how awesome I am for getting to 100,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. And like, I can see how if you opened the box, that would seem quite nice. Mm -hmm. But when you open three boxes in a row, and they have all got the (laughs) exact same photocopied letter in them, like it really loses the personal touch. And you realize this is all a little bit mass produced, and you don't feel so special.
0: Right. When you have to empty your shredder because it's full of these documents just being shredded one (laughs) after another from all of your play buttons. Like, oh, here's another one congratulating me. Shred, shred, shred. Now I have to take all of this out to the bin.
1: (laughs) I mean, the CEO, she's written me nine letters now, but I don't think she even knows who I am. I'm sure she knows who you are, Brady. No, it's like Mr. Burns, isn't it? She's like, Harren, hey? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Although in all seriousness, okay, this becomes a little bit of a question of measurement,
0: Hmm. but You have to be the individual on YouTube with the largest number of YouTube play buttons. This has to be true, right? There can't be someone else who beats you on this. No, the Greens must tile their bathroom with YouTube play buttons. Okay, but this is what I mean. It gets into a difficult thing of measurement because the Greens are an empire. They have like dozens of people working across many channels. You have a lot of channels where it is you working on the videos, obviously you're interviewing people. So it's somewhat of a team effort. Yeah. But maybe the way to do it is to take silver buttons per staff member. And (laughs) we want a ratio. We want a ratio number. I suspect you might be number one
1: on that metric on YouTube. No. i would be
0: really hard pressed to think of anybody else who would
1: beat you on that. I find it hard to believe. But who knows? Soon I won't have many at all. But I will keep the Hello Internet one, I guess, because where else is that going to go until we open the museum in the black stump? Yeah. It's not going to be on loan in my house, that's for sure. No. Have you got a Hello Internet vinyl episode in your house? I do have a Hello Internet vinyl episode in my house. Hidden or in a
0: place where a person would see it? It is not in a place that a person would see it. Right. It's not in a vault. I'm not quite sure what you're getting at here.
1: Well, I just wondered because I know that you had one framed like as a gift for someone else and it looked really awesome. And it did look really awesome, by the way. It really did. Yeah. And I know your wife arranged it and she obviously had it really well designed and she was so excited. She was thinking, this could even look good in our house. Mm -hmm. And I got really excited by the idea of an H.I. vinyl hanging in your house, but she obviously didn't win that battle. (laughs) It was a battle that she tried to fight and it was a battle that she lost. (laughs) Here's the thing that I
0: don't understand. Why would you get excited by the idea of it hanging up in my house? Like, what does that matter to you? Why does that make you excited? I don't understand.
1: Because, you know, we created like a lovely thing. And to think that it was worthy of you looking at it every day would like warm my heart. It would make me think it has actually moved you and made you happy. It would be like proof and not just lip service. Oh, Brady. I'm not like being needy here. I'm not like, you know, saying, tell me you love me. I'm just saying, can you not see why that would make me happy? Like, it would be like a tangible sign of, you know, you tell me you like it all the time and like, you know, and I believe you. But this would be like something more, especially your house that you hate stuff in. That'd be like getting access to the Pope or something.
0: I just think it's funny the way you always manage to frame... A question in a way that it just never even occurs to me to think about. (laughs) As though what is on the walls is a metric of the worthiness of the thing. I find that so strange. Like,
1: what a strange way to think about things. Of course that's the case. Since all time, humans have put things they value most on the walls. Have you ever been to a museum? That's kind of, in a way, what we do. I'm not saying that if something's not on your wall, you don't value it. What I'm saying is if you put something on your wall, you're giving it like extra value. I feel like I just can't agree with
0: this because I've mentioned before in our current flat, we don't, but I could see in a future flat having photographs up on the wall. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the most worthy
1: item that I own to put up on the wall here. No, it's imbuing it with a degree of specialness. Let me put it this way. Gray, right now, Mm -hmm. I'm just looking at my phone. Mm -hmm. I have a photo of you in my phone. You're okay with that, aren't you? I'm fine with you having a photograph of me. Yeah. What would you do if you came to my house and I had a 10 by 8 photo of you on my office wall?
0: I would be supremely weirded
1: out. Why? Why? There is the answer to the question.
0: I guess I can see what you're getting at here because it would be an extremely bizarre placement of importance of the photograph of me. Yes. All right. I guess I can see what you're saying there. (laughs)
1: I'm claiming that as a half victory.
0: (laughs) I think you can legitimately claim that as a half victory. Not all things fall into this category, but some things fall into this category. So I can see what you mean. Like a random picture might not mean anything, but a picture of a particular person does mean something. I I can get that. I can see what you're saying there. All
1: right. You can put that in the Brady
0: column.
1: (laughs) You and I talk a lot about Mm freebooting. And we have often talked about sort of the subset of free booting that we sometimes call gift booting or yeah. gif booting. Yeah. Gift booting is the only thing we call it. Yeah, you're right. I was just preparing for that person who says the Easter bunny doesn't really exist. <laughs> so, I found an interesting example of gift booting a day or two ago mm-hmm. that I condemn and I think it's wrong, mm-hmm. but it did also bring a, like a small flicker of something respect. Cleverness. Now I need to know what this thing is. Well, right you here. know how there are all these sources of GIFs? Because people send them all the time in text messages now and they tweet them all the time. Mm-hmm. So you can actually go to these like repositories of GIFs and look up the one that just fits exactly what you're wanting. You know, I want someone with brown hair and a red t-shirt winking with their left eye, and you can find one. Yeah,
0: like that's built into iMessage now, is you just search for a thing, and it's like, who knows where it even comes from?
1: Yep, built into iMessage, built into Twitter. Mm -hmm. So the other day, I was messaging my wife, and to like, you know, cheer her up and joke around, I wanted to send her a picture of a chihuahua. Mm -hmm. So I searched for chihuahua, And there were bloody gifts of Audrey stolen from my YouTube videos. Was she bursting
0: bubbles, Brady? Yes, she was chasing bubbles in (laughs) slow motion. (laughs) Well, I can see how you might feel slightly peeved, but also like a proud
1: papa in that moment. A little bit, but I still condemn it. I'm I'm not excusing it, but I did feel a little bit proud.
0: They are gifts of the world's cutest chihuahua when she was a puppy at the absolute apex of her cuteness. Those gifts might be the cutest a chihuahua has ever been or will ever be represented in human
1: history. That moment of her bursting those bubbles for people who don't know, which is everyone in the world except Gray. Mm -hmm. I went out to dinner recently with Gray, and we were just having a chat. And like in a moment of weakness, I did say to him, "Is Audrey good looking?" (laughs) 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 Because I had a little crisis of confidence because I know chihuahuas tread a fine line between being good looking and going a little bit wrong. Mm -hmm. And also, I know, like, proud parents think that their kids are beautiful. Yeah. And I think Audrey's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. But the other day I was talking, again, I was talking with my wife, and she was saying, you realise there will be some people who don't think Audrey's gorgeous? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, that can't be right. Mm -hmm. So, I sort of said to you, I said, tell me straight, Gray. (laughs) What do you think about Audrey? For the listener, just imagine for a moment, that you are out, you're
0: having a nice dinner with a friend. (laughs) And... They say, tell me something. They look into your eyes. Perhaps they reach across the table and put their hand on your hand. Say, give it to me straight. Is my child smart? Are they good at what they do? And they're looking. And I might add, eyes glistening a little bit. Perhaps on the verge of some kind of emotional problem. Perhaps the answer that you're about to give is the sort of thing that might destroy your very friendship forever. Imagine finding yourself... In that social situation. And what would you say? You, of course, listener, you would tell the truth. Audrey is the most beautiful chihuahua I have ever seen. She is adorable. And I really mean it, Brady. You
1: gave me a convincing answer. Like, you even pulled in anecdotes. You said, (laughs) oh, my wife and I were just talking the other day about Audrey. And you didn't just say yes. You called on evidence and, like, extra witnesses.
0: (laughs) Here's the thing, Brady. I really do. I'm telling it to you straight. I'm looking into your eyes, right? Audrey is genuinely the cutest Chihuahua I have ever seen. It is mostly because most Chihuahuas, you feel sorry for them that they've even been born. It's like, oh, you're some kind of genetic abnormality that should never have existed, but like we have wrought you out of a wolf and this is what we have made and like gaze upon the horror of it. Sort of like some breeds of bulldogs. You're like, oh, you poor bulldog. Like, I'm so sorry for you. But that's not Audrey. Like she is genuinely super cute. But I just think it's funny because... I know that I am telling the truth, but I don't understand how you could ever possibly genuinely trust me 100% when you ask a friend a question like that. Like, that's why I was pulling in anecdotes. I I did have witnesses. Like, we called people on the phone to confirm that, yes, I have (laughs) told third parties. This definitely (laughs) happened, listeners. It really did. There was a big thing because Brady wanted the proof, like, and I busted out all the proof that I possibly could. But I still think in asking that question, you can't trust a friend like this. This is what the internet is for. The internet tells you the truth. And you know you can trust what the internet thinks about things because the internet, it'll tell you. And so when you search for a chihuahua and you find Audrey breaking bubbles in the Giffatron 5000 or whatever it was, I think
1: that is the answer to your question. Well, first of all, you can't just trust the internet because everyone brings like lots of baggage. But also, they haven't met Audrey in person. Mm -hmm. But also, if I've got one friend who is not going to obey the social (laughs) norms because he doesn't know what social norms are- Mm -hmm and just tell the truth when he shouldn't, mm-hmm. it's you. Yeah, I will
0: agree with that. I am definitely the friend to ask. There's no yeah. doubt about that. I'm the person yeah. to ask. I'm just still saying, if I were you, I feel like you can never fully trust your friends on a
1: question like that, asking about your child. You just can't. That's why you have to ask the internet. If you didn't like Audrey, though, I mean, you're always picking her up, and you mm-hmm. hold her, and she falls asleep on your arm while you're stroking her and stuff. Like, you're a softie for Audrey. I totally am. Every time I go over,
0: it's, it's like... Can't wait to see her. Good. She's the world's cutest chihuahua. (laughs) This episode of Hello Internet is brought to you in part by Harry's. For decades, big razor companies have relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of their customers. So Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were fed up with getting ripped off, started Harry's to fix shaving. They knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own razor factory. By taking less profit and selling directly to you over the internet, Harry's offers their blades at half the price. Just $2 a blade compared to the four or more you'll pay at the drugstore. Not only do they use five precision-engineered blades with a lubricating strip to make sure that you get the closest, most comfortable shave, but all of their stuff just looks fantastic, which I personally love. It's an aesthetic that is a combination of the old and the new, and I think it just looks great. It looks great to have in your house, or it looks great to give as a gift to somebody else. It's fantastic, high-quality stuff. Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they want you to try their shave set for free. You heard that right. Just cover shipping when you sign up. Plus, as a special offer for fans of the show, go to harrys.com right now and enter code HI at checkout to get a post-shave balm also free. That's harrys.com code HI. With their free trial set, you'll be getting a Truman razor with a blade, foaming shave gel, and a travel blade cover that lasts about two weeks. It's a pretty great deal. You have no reason not to try them. So once again, go to harrys.com, code HI to try their free shave set and get yourself a
1: fantastic shave. Thanks so much to Harry's for supporting the show. Vinyl is on the up. More than 3 million people bought vinyl albums last year. It was the highest number of vinyl albums sold in the UK in 25 years. And although, to be fair, it's still only some tiny percentage of music sales, I found it really interesting to note that it's having this real resurgence. While CDs and downloads are both plummeting, because streaming is obviously becoming the go-to thing. streaming's like, you know, going gangbusters. So everything's folding except streaming, but vinyl is holding out. And for all those people who've asked, sales of the Halo Internet Vinyl Edition, I do not believe have been incorporated into those statistics Mm -hmm. because I certainly didn't supply them. (laughs) So you can add a few extra onto that (laughs) 3.2 million, thanks to the Tims. Any thoughts on this? I'm just looking over this article
0: and it's like yes while the numbers are somewhat impressive here it says 3.2 million records were sold last year which is a 53 percent rise on the previous year which is quite impressive i just feel like this has to hit a cap pretty fast and it is a tiny portion of the overall business like i just quickly googled to see and as of last year apple music alone in the streaming world has 20 million subscribers And I think Apple Music is probably smaller than Spotify. I don't know, but I'm going to guess it is. So Mm. I'm not seeing a real vinyl resurgence. I would also be very curious to know what the breakdown is of the actual usage of those vinyl records. How many of them are being bought to be displayed? Like posters in the way that you talked about a while back. Like They're beautiful pieces of artwork. You can put them up on your wall. How many of them are being bought like that versus being actually played? I'm betting this is becoming like a collector's market thing, as opposed to an actual utility thing. Does that matter? So what? I don't think it matters, but I do think it changes what is this thing. And collector's markets are just totally strange markets. I think I mentioned before, but I only recently just discovered this whole phenomenon of collector edition sneakers like sneakers that Mm. shoe companies manufacture with no intention of them ever being worn by anyone and was like okay this is a totally weird strange market i feel like i bet the vinyl market is a lot closer to something like that than it is to an actual utility
1: object oh no what you've put the idea of limited edition hello internet sneakers into my head (laughs) pretty oh no oh i can feel
0: it it's infecting me like a bug okay buddy I feel like part of my job sometimes is to save you from yourself. Talk me
1: down. Talk me down.
0: Yeah, I got to talk you off this ledge, buddy. Because listen, uh. okay, first of all, think back to all of the returns that you've already had to deal with for the vinyl episode of Hello Internet. Uh. Now, keep in mind, sneakers, they're not a single consistent item. They have to be manufactured at different sizes. You'd have to deal with returns, people having different sizes.
1: No, not if they're not being worn. Not if they're not for wearing. You could just do them all in
0: one size. Hmm. No, no, Brady, it's not possible. You'd have to manufacture them at different sizes. The people would demand it. It's too much of a logistic trouble. You don't want to do this. Think of all the different materials. There's no sneaker machine that can just press it out and you record a quick YouTube video of the manufacturing process. I don't think you want to do this. This is not a good idea, man.
1: I'm already thinking of ways I can do it.
0: Here's what we have to do. Here's my plan. I can mm. tell you the plan because even if I tell you it, it might still work. Mm. We've got to just move on to the next topic. Because by the end of the show, you might just forget, and then it will be over.
1: All right. But then I'll hear it in this episode, and it will remind me. It's like a permanent reminder.
0: If future Brady is listening to this episode, we can also hope that by the time he gets to the end of the episode, he also forgets. That's our only hope. You hear that, future Brady? Keep listening to the show. Forget
1: what? I can't even remember what
0: we're talking about.
1: There you go. Perfect. (laughs) I also saw today, and obviously I knew this was going to happen, but I hadn't read about it before. About the opening of Star Wars Land by Disney, the Star Wars theme park, which was obviously one of the first things they were going to do when Disney bought the rights to Star Wars. Hmm. But uh, it looks like it's upon us. And I was wondering what you thought about this. Uh, According to this article, 14 acres at Disneyland and Walt Disney World in Florida. So it looks like Star Wars Land is going to be part of Disneyland. They're hoping to open it maybe by around the time the episode nine comes out. So couple of years time I was wondering how you felt about this uh, I don't know Brady I f- there's two things here. the first is it never really
0: crossed my mind that when Disney bought Star Wars they'd be making theme parks which of course seems really obvious in retrospect. It's just like in my mind Star Wars oh you're still this precious thing but no now it's gonna be forever which leads to the second thing which is I'm really feeling some Star Wars burnout. That's where i'm headed about this although i do uh, you know even just looking at some conceptual drawings like oh it sure would be cool to walk around in some of those environments i don't know it feels like the marvel universification of star wars and it's going to be around forever and there's always going to be more things i think i'm, I'm just going to have to
1: step back a little bit are you going to head down to disney as soon as it's open i don't think i'll be an early adopter Where do you stand on theme parks and amusement parks? Like, how do you feel about them? I couldn't guess if you were someone who hates them or likes them. Because in some ways, like, you know, I know you don't like crowds and people Mm -hmm. and techiness. But on the other hand, you do like kind of, you know, mass appeal entertainment. Is that what's on the other side of this scale? Mass appeal entertainment? That's interesting. You know, you play computer games and you (laughs) watch movies and stuff. So you do some normal stuff. I do some normal stuff. That is true. You like
0: Las Vegas. I do like Las Vegas. Well, this is what I was going to say when you you say, like, I don't like tacky things.
1: Yes, but
0: there is a Maryland point for tackiness, Mm. which once Mm. you cross it, it becomes awesome. And I think a lot of Las Vegas does fall into this category of it's past the Maryland point. But you don't like queuing. I don't like queuing. I don't like rides that involve acceleration in any way, which is a pretty broad category of rides. Mm. Uh, So those sorts of things are not pleasant. For me, even little baby rides that have the tiniest amount of acceleration, I find deeply physically uncomfortable. So I don't do any of those things.
1: Is that because you don't like the feeling or because you're scared you're going to die?
0: It's just the physical sensation. Right. There's something in my body which is overly tuned to acceleration and reacts extremely poorly and every once in a while by which i mean maybe every five or six years some part of me forgets this and thinks "Mm, maybe i can try and i'll do some like baby ride and then it's it's like oh god get me off this thing immediately this is just physically uncomfortable Mm. the carnies running those rides don't exactly instill faith in how reliable they always are but it's mostly the actual physical uncomfortableness is the problem.
1: What's a carny? Is that someone who runs a carnival?
0: Yeah, they're like traveling people who run carnivals. That's what a carny is. Is
1: that like an offensive term? It sounds like it would be an offensive word.
0: I think it is slightly offensive, but it's occurring to me that maybe this is a very American term. Right. I feel like you would say carny to anybody and they would have an an image of a teenager who's not really paying full attention to the teacup ride at the local carnival. Like that's what okay. you would have
1: in your mind if you say a carny. Okay. So it's a word we're allowed to say on, like, the internet. It's not... Obviously it is, because you've said it numerous (laughs) times now. (laughs) But Brady,
0: you're allowed to say all the words on the internet. There are no forbidden words on the internet. This is true. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, I guess to answer your question, when I was a kid, my parents took me to Disney very regularly. For a period of time, we went, like, every other year, we went down to Disney. And what I do really like about those kinds of environments is... Just the experience of walking around a place that has been set up in an interesting way. I don't necessarily feel the need to go on lots of rides, but to me, that was never really the experience. Like, I just always liked walking around.
1: I just got this picture in my head of parents taking this little tiny CTP gray to Disney World (laughs) for the fifth time in 10 years. And you're just so excited because you're going to once again get to see how they're working the rubbish collection. (laughs)
0: I mean, that is part of it, but I think like a well-designed theme park just sets up visually interesting places to walk around. I have this real theory about like when you're walking in a place, curved paths make a place much more interesting to walk around, particularly curved paths where you can't necessarily see... What's too far ahead of you? And I feel like a lot of the theme parks do a really good job of that kind of feeling. Like you're walking around and moving between different areas. You're not just standing in the center of a really big open space that extends in mm. all directions and you can see everything. Like I think that's kind of boring. A few of the uh, very old markets in London have that kind of feeling too, where you're you're walking in a space and because you can't see everything in all directions like in a modern mall, it's just a more interesting environment to walk around. So I I really like all of that kind of stuff. That said, as an adult I haven't been to a theme park in a very, very long time. And I think it's because my patience and tolerance for crowds and lines and children would be at an all-time low. And whenever my family and I went, because they are the best parents in the world, Always took me out of school to go to Disneyland in the off season. So it was like we had the whole place to ourselves. And I like I don't even know what they told the school we were up to. But it was always like whatever the the least busy time was, they would take me out of school and we would go. And it was awesome.
1: Cool. I've only been to Disneyland once. Mm -hmm. And I went in... 2002 Normally I can't tell you The years I did things But I do remember that year So that was a long time ago And my camera still Was a film camera Wow And I took loads of pictures And had the time of my life And as we were leaving I realised there was no film In my camera And I was like, oh, no, I wondered why I didn't have to change my film when I was taking so many photos. <laughs> so then we spent 20 minutes running around Disneyland at breakneck speed, recreating all the photos and reposing in front of all the rides to take all the photos again. So when I look through all those pictures, it's like, oh, yeah, we did all that in 10 minutes at the end of the day. But, yeah, good time. But you have the memories. <laughs> so Great. I wanted to try bringing this up, but I don't want to, like, lead you down a rabbit hole because I'm scared you might go off on one and, like, bore me. Wow, that hurts. That hurts really (laughs) deep, Brady. I'm worried you're going to want to take it in a different direction. But anyway, it's your podcast, too. You can do what you want. But I want to talk about people dying Mm. because there was this thing, right, in 2016, where everyone was saying, oh, this is, like, the worst year ever, and, like, everyone keeps dying, and all these celebrities kept dying. And- Part of me thought it was interesting. Part of me thought it was ridiculous. But the thing that I thought was interesting was I've said, like, in an episode of Hello Internet in the early days, Mm -hmm. I basically predicted this and it just came true earlier than I thought. The fact that as the years go by, we're getting a bigger and bigger density Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. famous people. Mm -hmm. It's going to seem every year like more famous people are dying because- there just are more famous people because of the way the media has evolved and fame and celebrity has mm-hmm. evolved. And I think every year is going to be worse than the year before in terms of it seeming like celebrities are falling off the perch. Mm-hmm. And I think 2017 has very much started in this way as well. Like I feel like the number of famous people dying in January and February of 2017 has been even higher than it was all through 2016. And you can send me all the links to all like the boring articles and podcasts that show that it doesn't change. I'm not that interested in facts. I'm just saying, this is what it feels like. Hmm. And I want to know what you think. Okay, so
0: I am trying to think about any celebrity deaths that I will have heard of. And I can only come up with one that I've heard of for this year. But I think the only example I can think of is. It- Perfectly goes into exactly what you're saying, which is a guy called Hans Rosling, who's a Swedish doctor and statistician and ran a website called Gapminder. If anybody knew of him, it was because he did a couple of TED Talks on population growth that were very popular and very interesting. And he's a guy whose career I've followed a little bit since he came across my radar. But he's a perfect example of someone who in an earlier time, would not have had any level of internet fame for me to even be aware of when he died in the first place. He's the only person I can think of that I've heard of who's died this year, but he's exactly this example, like a person with a certain amount of internet fame who makes it feel like, oh right, here is a celebrity who has died, but is probably unknown to a reasonably large portion of the population. And I think more and more yeah. celebrity deaths are, are going to be like that, just as you say.
1: What do you think about 2016 then? Was there like a clustering? There were some big ones, obviously. but you know. Yeah,
0: there were some big ones. But m- my frustration with this also is that I think it just becomes a meme. I think there are a couple of people you can point to with kind of starting this idea in people's minds of 2016 being a terrible year and also then combining it with the celebrity deaths and I think that very naturally it just becomes a thing that gets into people's minds and once you start thinking about oh all of these celebrities are dying then you are more aware of all of the celebrities who die. Mm. I think it's also just a thing that feeds itself out of proportion to what is actually occurring even if the actual number of, quote, celebrity deaths is also increasing at the same time. But there's something memishness about this that annoys me. I can't quite articulate why, but it does. It really bothers me.
1: <laughs> I mean, Wikipedia is not the best example because Wikipedia hasn't really defined fame. Mm-hmm. But I'm just looking through the deaths of 2017. And for every day, they list 20 people at least dying. A lot of them wouldn't count as famous or even make the news, but it just shows how many people we consider noteworthy in such an age of information. So it's probably not surprising that if you follow newspapers and TV and things like that, where they just have to fill space, they can quite easily fill it with stories of famous people dying if they want. Anyway, I did think it was interesting, and we didn't mention the 2016 thing, but we had talked about it on Hello Internet, and I felt like maybe it was starting to come to fruition already.
0: I didn't realize that Wikipedia, of course they would have it, but Wikipedia does maintain lists of celebrity deaths for, it looks like, very many years. Yeah. I just randomly jumped back to 1990 in January. And it's like, they sure have a long list of famous people who died in 1990 in January. Yeah. It might be more now, but the idea of the death is 10 times bigger than the maybe 15 percent increase that is real, if you see what I mean. Like, that's the
1: disparity that's occurring here. I must have spent two hours last night. There's this chemical, Mm -hmm. it's called Brady's reagent, funnily enough. (laughs) But it's been in the news a bit lately Mm -hmm. because there were some schools were having problems with it exploding. So we've done a video about it for Periodic Videos, Mm -hmm. which I was doing last night. So it's called Brady's Reagent. And after not too much research, I was able to figure out why it's called Brady's Reagent. But it's got a secondary name that some people call it, which is Borsche's Reagent. Mm And I must have spent two hours figuring out who Borsch was and then double checking and confirming I had the right person. In the end, I was on like Google Books, going through (laughs) ancient textbooks written in German, trying to find clues. And oh, it was crazy. The rabbit holes you can go down for like trivial facts that I didn't even need for the video. It's just like something I put on screen for three (laughs) seconds. But God, I sunk some time into it. It is very easy to do that sort of thing.
0: Back in the day when you just had the library, it's like, well, the trail runs cold real fast. But now, now there is always one further thing that you can try to chase to get that fact really nailed down. There's always another page of results on Google, right? No matter what you're typing in, you can keep going and going. You feel like the answer is out there somewhere.
1: But also you start to like find yourself having to fight against sort of certain biases as well. Like... I thought I'd figured out who he was. It was this Walter, Walter Borsch. Mm-hmm. So everywhere I looked, I was basically just looking for information that would confirm right, that right. it was Walter Borsch. Mm-hmm. And then I was suddenly thinking, hang on, have I just got it in my head? That's who it is. And I'm just looking for his name. And maybe there's another Bosch out there who's the actual guy. And what am I doing with my life, Gray? Like, I totally understand this. Yeah, th- there's a very easy trap that everybody falls into of
0: confirming a thing versus trying to find out if you are wrong about the thing Mm. and when do you stop looking you have my sympathies with this because i am trying to track down the reason why a government bureaucracy essentially a hundred years ago decided to do a thing the way they did it's the exact same thing of like where do we stop trying to find out the answer to this question this question which doesn't really matter doesn't really affect anything in a video i can trivially write around the reason for this thing it doesn't really matter but it's like It's got to be on the internet somewhere and I want to try to find it. But it's also the problem, like you said, with the confirmation of when I finally find something, how do you know if that is true? It can never end. Like, have you found the answer or have you just found the first thing that provides an answer and you decide to go with it? You occasionally get smoking
1: guns that you feel pretty confident about, though.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's these kind of rabbit holes of trying to chase down information. They do reveal something about how all knowledge is not exactly knowledge, but it's a tower of probabilities. That there's information that you are more and less certain about is real or is not real. You don't want to spend most of your day looking at that too directly. It's too much to think about, but that really is how just all of the knowledge in anybody's head is essentially just a a summation of probabilities of how likely do you think this is to be true and how likely
1: is it to be untrue. I promise I'm not going to make Sports Bowl Corner a regular feature. No, brutal! I'm not going to do it, but...
0: This is where I can't believe you. It's now two episodes in a row.
1: We've just had the Super Bowl. You've got to let me have Sports Bowl Corner for the Super Bowl. If it's not the Super Bowl, it's the World Cup. If it's not the World
0: Cup, it's the... (laughs) Christ, I can't think of another one. But there's like, there's always... (laughs) Well, there's only two then. (laughs) The ashes, there we go. Oh, nice. Uh, Look at you. I'm a little bit proud of you then. If it's not the ashes, it's the Thunderdome. You know, it's all of these these things. (laughs) Oh, we have to make an exception for the Super Bowl. (laughs) As though that's the only sport that we participate in. When you're always telling me stories about all kinds of things and one season ends and another season starts up. There's an infinite number of these things, Brady. What are you saying? (sighs) Sigh. You're saying I can't have sports ball corner today. like, no, I'm not saying you can't have sports ball corner. I'm just, it's again, it's the way you frame the thing. Like, ooh, just this once, just this once, <laughs> twice in a row. Like, doop,
1: just, doop, doop. just don't join me. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's <laughs> like, I know what you're doing, buddy, right? Because once it's
1: twice, now it's a tradition practically,
0: right? So this is going to have to happen
1: all the time. This has been like the dominant story of my week. This has been the thing that has consumed most of my headspace this week. How can I? not talk to my good buddy about it? Because I didn't know that there was a Super Bowl. You didn't know the Super Bowl was on? Why would
0: I know the Super Bowl was on? Because it's a major world event. Is it a major world event? I feel like after I moved out of America, I don't hear that much about the Super Bowl anymore. How would I have come across this piece of information? Reddit? Well, I didn't see it on any of the Reddit sections that I'm on.
1: It wasn't on Reddit much, to be honest. It wasn't on my Reddit either, to be honest, but anyway. Well, there you go. Fail at the first hurdle there, Brady. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. I want to tell you about my Super Bowl experience.
0: Okay. Tell me
1: about the Super Bowl. But to tell you about my Super Bowl experience, oh, I have to God give you a bit of background. No. <laughs> oh. This is important background. Is it? Okay. Yeah. All right.
0: I'm All right. listening.
1: Do you know what my English soccer team is that I follow? Like my favorite? No. You probably don't, do you? Arsenal?
0: No. I don't know. I'm just pulling a name out of a hat, man.
1: My team is Liverpool, right? Okay, right. I'm going to keep the story short. It will be shorter if you stop groaning and interrupting. Oh, okay. All right. All right. It's my fault. (laughs) It's my fault. It's so long. In 2005, Liverpool made it to the final of a very important soccer tournament, the Champions League, the European Cup final, and they were playing against a big famous Italian club called AC Milan, and it was in Istanbul. That's where the final was being held. Okay. And- I happened to be on holiday the night the final was on. I was in Prague with an ex-girlfriend from a long time ago who really, really hated soccer, Mm -hmm. like you. Mm -hmm. And we went to a bar to watch this game because I wanted to watch my beloved Liverpool, and at halftime, they were being absolutely pasted. They were 3-0 down, which in soccer terms against a really good team in a final is like game over.
0: Yeah, I totally understand that. Because once again, you're terrible at estimating things. And soccer is probably the sport that I have watched the most ever on TV. But okay, we continue.
1: All right. So anyway, and the pub's full of like English louts. Mm-hmm. So the girlfriend at the time says, can we leave now? Like, I don't want to watch the second half. This is a really unpleasant environment. Mm-hmm. And you're unhappy because your team has <laughs> lost the game. So what are we doing here? And I said, good point. And we left. And we walked around the city and we went back to the hotel and I was sitting in bed reading a book and suddenly I get a text message from my friend back in England going, isn't this unbelievable? You must be like having the night of your life. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And it turns out in the second half, Liverpool staged this incredible recovery Mm -hmm. And tr- scores were level and it went to like extra time. And then luckily I turned the TV on in my room and I caught the last couple of seconds and Liverpool won the game in one of these penalty shootouts. Mm-hmm. All Liverpool fans talk about it as this famous night when it's called the miracle of Istanbul. And Liverpool <laughs> fans always talk about, what were you doing when it happened? Where were you watching it? Wasn't it the greatest night of your life? And I'm always, well, I was reading a novel in bed because I thought we'd lost. Mm-hmm. So, that was my story. (laughs) my
0: ex-girlfriend made me leave the pub. (laughs) Yeah. So,
1: anyway, it was Super Bowl this week. And it was the New England Patriots and the Atlanta Falcons. Mm -hmm. And for various boring reasons, I'm not like a proper fan, but for various reasons, I'm a fan of the New England Patriots. The reason is actually dates all the way back to 2002 (laughs) when I first went to Boston. And they had this new player called Tom Brady. And I went into a shop and I saw all these New England Patriots shirts and they all had Brady written on the back of them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, wow, I've never seen a shirt with Brady written on it. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So, I bought one. And so, he became my player. (laughs) Right, of course. And that became my team. And just by sheer luck, this was the start of this guy's career. He's gone on to become- Perhaps the greatest player ever is quarterback for the New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. And he's won all these Super Bowls and he's like a big superstar. So I look like I've jumped on a bandwagon. Mm -hmm. I haven't jumped on a bandwagon. No, of course. I jumped on a wagon for an equally shallow and superficial reason. And that is the player has the same name (laughs) as me. But anyway, so that's my team. Now playing in this game, it was on Sunday night. I had to get up early on Monday morning because I had to drive across the country. I had to drive to Nottingham. So I said, I'm only going to watch the first half of the game. And Atlanta Falcons, they smashed the New England Patriots, and Tom Brady was having a terrible game. And I think, like, at halftime, the score was 21 to Mm 3. Atlanta were 18 points ahead. And funnily enough, the NFL account for the UK did a tweet saying, did you know that no team has ever come back from 10 points behind to win a Super Bowl? And the Patriots were 18 points behind. Mm Mm-hmm. I made a funny comment, like I replied to that tweet along the lines of, oh, well, I guess I can go to bed now. And they actually replied to me and said, be careful, you never know what might happen. And then I replied with, oh, I've got experience with this. And I tweeted a picture of Liverpool winning that tournament back in 2005. And everyone who knew what was going on was like laughing, saying, ha-ha, yes, whatever. And I went to bed. But I was so scared there was going to be a comeback that I kept my phone with me in bed. And at the start of the second half, I looked and... The Atlanta Falcons got the first score of the second half as well. So they went 25 points ahead. And then I thought, okay, now I can go to sleep because there's no comeback now. The Falcons are still scoring. Mm-hmm. I went to sleep. Do you know what happened? I'm guessing the Patriots won. It was the most incredible comeback in like the history of the Super Bowl. And everyone's talking about it. Everyone's saying it's the greatest Super Bowl in history. Isn't it amazing? Aren't we so lucky to have witnessed this game? All this hype. And yet again, I have slept through my team doing this amazing thing. And like, I can watch it the next day, but it's not the same when you know what's going to happen. And even if I didn't know what's going to happen, it's not the same if you're not watching it live. So I've yet again slept through my team doing a really, really amazing thing. How does that make you feel, Brady? In some ways, I'm glad I didn't have to go through watching it because I watched the second half the next day mm-hmm. online and I would have been so nervous watching that game as they were coming back. Are they going to come back? It's so close. Are they? Can they do it? Are they not going to do it? I would have been so sick with nerves. I'm almost glad I didn't have to see it mm-hmm. and it just all happened without me knowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost feel good about it. And I almost feel good that I've now got this like track record of sleeping through amazing things. Like a, It's like my thing now, isn't it? Almost feeling good is not the same as actually feeling good. (laughs) I mean, I have stayed awake through some amazing sports things and they are some of my best memories, Mm -hmm. but I've also been awake through some terrible losses and they're some of the most terrible things. So, I'm thinking the next time
0: there's a sports game where it looks like there can't possibly be a turnaround and you're going to go to bed, I think you should let me know before you go to bed so that I can place a bet at that moment on the losing team because it seems like you have a good track record
1: with this. It was good, though. It was pretty amazing. And the other thing it made me realize is because a few of the things that allowed the Patriots to win were like touchdowns and plays and things that were literally decided by a few centimeters. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the ball was over the line by a few centimeters or off the ground by a few centimeters. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing to me in sport, how small the margins can be that have such massive impact. Because no matter how much you hate football, you do realise, you know, winning the Super Bowl is a big deal and there are vast amounts of money and sponsorships and things at stake. So there is a lot at stake. And just the smallest little bounces of a bowl and a centimetre here and a centimetre there in all sport makes such massive differences. I guess we'd like that about sport, but... I always feel the need to jump in here because
0: you always upgrade my indifference toward a thing to hatred which is a hell of a leap like okay yeah it's like a lack of interest does not equate to hatred of a thing like these are two totally different emotions like an indifference is an underappreciated emotion like it's just brady likes watching his games and it's totally good i think what you are sensing is sometimes my frustration at your desire to tell me shaggy dog stories about what happened in a game for which i have no context (laughs) It's a very different thing where you've got to tell me that a team won, but we have to start back in 1978 when you found a shirt with your name on it in an unrelated sport. And I always feel the same thing. Like, I'm trying to hold together all these
1: threads in my head of like, okay, where does this connect? Where does that connect? It's like a murder mystery. And then like at the end, they all come together and form this amazing finale. And you're like, wow. That was awesome, Brady. I don't think think they do.
0: It's not that they come together in an amazing finale.
1: It's more that it just sort of... Ends. Like it's a thing that's like unnecessary detail. I feel like that too, but I blame you for it. It's my fault. Because I feel like if you engaged more with the story and helped me along and were like saying, Oh really? And what happened next? And oh, how did that happen? Like if you asked any questions and had any level of engagement, I wouldn't always be left hanging at the end saying, like, and then the team won. I can feel it too. I'm like sinking. I'm like, great, ask me a question. Like interact. Just give me some interaction. I just need a little bit. I can feed off that. But you're like, no, I've given you nothing, mate. You're drowning on your own. But it's
0: always the same thing. You're always talking about the people or like something. Like I have I have no questions But here. you could say, oh, really? Tom Brady, who's he? What does he look like? What position but wh- does he play? Are, who cares? Where was the Super Bowl played? What position does he play? You could tell me he plays quarter chicken and I would just believe you. Like, I don't know what the players play. Like, I have no idea what these things are. Why is Tom Brady so good? How much stuff has he won? <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? Like, he you could just, just ask me anything and I could work can, with it. You're continuing to go down a path of meaningless Answers. Like, all I'm going to do is extend the shaggy dog story further. About, like, like oh, no. wow, you know, his mother is from
1: Germany, right? And she emigrated. Like, oh, God. It's just
0: like, you'll just go on and
1: on. That's and how on. conversations work. I do that all the time when I meet people who do things that I know nothing about. And I just ask them questions about it. And, like, if I meet the world expert on ants, I just ask them all sorts of questions and eventually you just stumble over interesting totally stuff. Totally
0: different thing. I can conceptualize that. Like there's things to ask about the thing. With sports, it's very hard. I do have one question though, which we did blow past, mm-hmm. which is you're saying that, that the sport is won by centimeters. Hmm. And what I want to know is, does football have actual cameras that they use to do replays so that they can see yes, this was in or yes, this was out, as opposed to some
1: sports that still rely on a human to make a call at the last second, which seems stupid to me. Well, there you go. You asked a question and Bless you, Gray. There's an interesting answer for me to share with you about it. Right. Because th- th- this is the only question of any interest there can possibly be.
0: <laughs> I was like, And I found it. I found I it. It's like more. a I... diamond, right? It's a no. diamond in
1: this pile of rubble. <laughs> What's more likely, that you found it or that all questions are interesting? That I found it. That I found okay. it in this, in this <laughs> pile. Yes, American football does use video replays extensively. Oh, no, thank God. Even though it doesn't always settle things. It does help considerably. But what was interesting was this game went to overtime and it was a situation where like first touchdown wins. There's a few more subtleties to it than that, but I'm not going to bore you anymore. First touchdown wins. New England got this touchdown. But what happened was the guy like reached out to do the touchdown over the line. And he had to have not like, you know, grounded his knee or whatever and been on the ground before he did it. So, it was a really fine cut. Did he Mm -hmm. make it or not? So, the referee on the field called it as a touchdown. To his eye, he said it was a touchdown, but we're going up to the TVs. Mm -hmm. But before the TV people had decided, the New England players were running around celebrating. Everyone ran on the field and celebrated. So, the guy that was in charge of confetti obviously pressed the button and- (laughs) (laughs) tons and tons and tons of confetti started raining down on the stadium and all over the field and the players so if the guy watching the final tv replay had like looked at it and decided actually you know what i think that's not a touchdown Mm -hmm. i have no idea what they would have done because they had completely trashed the stadium i don't know would they have had to sweep it all off the field and Spend an hour and then start playing again. So in the end, I think the TV guy must have just said, well, no matter what, I have to give that as a touchdown because we can't play on the field anymore. That's not the way that works.
0: You have to have an hour of watching the team sadly pack their own confetti back in the confetti cannons, right? That's what you need, right? Like, no, no, right? You guys celebrated too soon. This is not how this works. And now, now you're going to pack all of that confetti back in those confetti cannons. This is what you're gonna have to do. You don't get to
1: celebrate before we've made it official. You'd have to call it. You'd have to take it back. Do you know what? More stories are popping into my head about sport I could tell you now, but I won't. Let me ask you one more thing about Super Bowl in general, though. Okay. This was Super Bowl 51. And as you might know, when they name the Super Bowls and they make the official logo for each one, because each one has its own logo, they use Roman numerals. Okay. This
0: is an interesting thing
1: about the Super Bowl, yes. So you know this. So this was Super Bowl L I. Mm-hmm. for 51. But what they did was for Super Bowl 50, they broke with that. So, when you mm-hmm. go through and look at all the logos, it's like five zero, 0 but the mm-hmm. one before it is Roman numerals. It's like X-L-I-X. And the mm-hmm. one after it is L-I. And that must really, really annoy you know, anal people when they look at the list of Super Bowls and just one of them is not in Roman numerals. Uh, this did cross my radar as, as a thing at some point. <laughs> so this crosses your radar, right? Yep.
0: Yeah, because this is interesting. And again, it's like, oh, it's, it's not some like person with his thing. It's like, oh, it's a question about the system and a question about are they going to change the way they do the numbering from this Roman numeral system to regular numbers? It is interesting. Right? It is interesting. It's also, it's obvious time to do it because there's no way to make it, not look dumb if you just say Super Bowl L?
1: I think Super Bowl LI looks dumb. If it hasn't got X in it, it's not cool in my opinion.
0: Yeah, that's true. Everybody knows X is the coolest letter. There's no doubt about that, right? It's like nobody can be as
1: cool as X. Oh, great. I just had a really good idea. What? Let's number this episode with Roman numerals. Brady, I would never do that kind of thing. I take the consistency
0: of the metadata and the file names. I take it very seriously. I would never do such a thing. You know, if it happened by some kind of madness, it must have been a bug in the system or some nefarious person renamed it. I would never do that. You know me, Brady, right? Obviously, I am I am an OCD kind of guy. And so I have to make sure that everything is the same all the time, right? That's oh, what people yeah. know about me. So no, I am not going to name this
1: episode... Whatever it is. I can tell you it's L X X V I I I. It's a really good looking one and it's really big. I would never do that, Brady. It's not gonna happen. Thank you for not doing that, yeah. because I know how much that would annoy people. Yeah. No, I'm I glad would, you didn't do. do it. Yeah, no. But just that do it. number for you again, Gray. L X X V I I okay. I. Yeah. It's interesting piece of trivia, but not I don't need to write that down because it's not relevant. <laughs> Do you think they should have abandoned Roman numerals from 50 and gone 51, 52? Or do you like that they've gone back to it?
0: I like consistency in the thing. So I think if you're going with the Roman numerals, you should own Super Bowl L, even though it looks dumb. I think if you're not going to do that, it's totally fine to change. 50 is a reasonable time to change to use regular numbers. But going to the number 50 for 50 and then back to Roman numerals, that's the worst of everything. So big thumbs down to the Super Bowl committee or whoever is in charge of these things.
1: I imagine it's the NFL, but yeah. (laughs) Oh, sorry. The NFL. What's your vote on that, Brady? What do you think? They should have stuck with Roman numerals. They should have had the courage of their convictions to go over Super Bowl L. Mm -hmm. I can see why the marketing people didn't allow it and insisted on 50. Mm -hmm. The thing I don't understand is why they then accepted LI, (laughs) which looks just as lame, if not more lame. Super Bowl (laughs) Lee. I don't know how vowels work.
0: This episode of Hello Internet is brought to you in part by Backblaze. What is Backblaze? It's the product you need. It's unlimited cloud backup for Mac and PC for just $5 a month. Backblaze backs up documents, music, photos, videos, drawing, projects, everything you could possibly care about Backblaze Protects. And not only do they protect it by uploading it to their cloud, they allow you to access your data anywhere in the world on the web or on your phone. If you happen to be somewhere where you need a document that you know is on your desktop that you don't happen to have access to on your phone, with Backblaze, you can just grab that really easily and see it immediately, which is a handy feature I have used a bunch of times. Best of all, with Backblaze, you can restore just one file or all your files. The choice is yours. If you accidentally deleted a thing before Time Machine got it, you can have Backblaze pull it down immediately. Or if you have an entire hard drive meltdown, your entire computer has been lost, your house has burned down, whatever it is, Backblaze can just send you a hard drive by mail so that you can have everything as fast as possible. And don't worry, it will be encrypted so that only you can access it. Nothing beats the bandwidth of a truck carrying a hard drive down the highway. And if you need a lot of files fast, that's what you're going to want to do. The guys at Backblaze really know what they're doing. They have over 20 billion files that they've restored for people. 20 billion files. That is a ton of people's documents and memories and important data. Backblaze is gimmick-free. There's no additional charges. It's just $5 per month for a complete backup and I really think if you don't have this on your computer you need to get it right now. Backblaze has totally saved my butt a number of times with files and data loss so I am personally grateful to that company for saving a bunch of my stuff. No matter how good you think your system is for backing up your documents on some floppy that you update every month or so, it's never going to be good enough as something that just automatically runs in the background. Everybody needs Backblaze. So to get a fully featured 15-day trial, go to backblaze.com hellointernet. There you can play around with the service and get it started protecting your data immediately. If you're hearing the sound of my voice and you don't have Backblaze, you need to go do this right now. So once again, thank you to Backblaze for supporting the show. Thank you to Backblaze for saving people's data. And go to backblaze.com slash hello internet.
1: You know how newspapers, like they don't really get YouTube, do they? and the online world. So whenever they do reports on things happening in YouTube, I feel a bit like they've just learned, like your grandpa who's just learning about YouTube for the first time and that there's lots of subtleties they don't understand. Mm -hmm. So there was all these stories that I saw in the newspaper today. I think it must've been the Times because that's the one I have sitting down on the kitchen table. It is an interesting story, Mm -hmm. but I just think they're getting a little bit the wrong end of the stick or they're being a bit unfair. Basically, the story is about how British companies or companies in general are supporting extremist organizations like terrorists and all that sort of stuff and ISIS or even the production of like pornographic material. Oh my. By advertising on their videos. And in a nutshell, what's happened is obviously you're not allowed to put like terrorism and extremist stuff on YouTube, but some stuff does get through Mm -hmm. and some of that stuff is monetized. And then automatic AdSense ads appear on those videos. So Mm. they've got all these screen grabs of like ISIS terrorist video people with like a Mercedes Benz ad popping up (laughs) down the bottom. So all of a sudden Mercedes Benz is like pouring money into supporting extremists and terrorists. And they do point out like, you know, it's like inadvertent. But the thrust of the story is that advertising money is going to support all these extremist videos and that. And I was looking at the article and I was thinking- this is a bit unfair and they're not really understanding what's going on and what the problem is and what needs fixing. And also that it's not that big a problem. Yeah. Even a word like
0: pouring money into It's like, have you seen AdSense ad rates? Yeah. From the newspaper? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Unless that ISIS channel has 2 million subscribers, 800 million views and an agreement with Audible, they're probably not yeah. making that much money. <laughs> Yeah, like they're not getting plane tickets to America, right? This this is not happening, guys. Like, I
0: don't think you understand. This is not a Super Bowl commercial that Mercedes-Benz has
1: purchased on a terrorist YouTube channel. It seemed like an easy story and low-hanging fruit. And if you're telling the story to someone who doesn't understand YouTube... And it's being told by people who don't understand YouTube. I can see how they're getting themselves into a great tiz about it. You know, it was the front page of the newspaper and stuff, you know, (laughs) company money supporting extremist organizations. But I think it was rather misleading. You're always trying to get me
0: to pay more attention to the news, Brady, but every time you bring up a news story, it just sounds dumber and dumber. It's like this nothing thing was the front page story in a newspaper. It's like, wow. Okay. That seems like an excellent thing to pay time and attention to.
1: It's good to know what other people are talking about and what other people think. Oh, okay.
0: So it's not that the news is intrinsically beneficial. It's just important to know what other people might be hearing about a thing. Of both. Anyway, I thought it was interesting. You know, I think anybody who's even slightly internet savvy understands that the ads just appear before stuff. They have nothing at all to do with the thing itself. It's like I don't even have the slightest idea, like what ads people see on my YouTube videos. It's like, do I don't you care?
1: Like, if you could control it, would you take those reins? Would you like to have more control over? who's allowed to advertise on your videos? Oh God, no, please, no. I would actively
0: reject that kind of, I feel like I don't want anything to do with this. Let this be somebody else's problem. I don't wanna have to decide like, ooh, this kind of ad is or is not appropriate on the YouTube channel. So if there was a
1: box that said at election time, the political parties can or cannot advertise at the start of my videos, you don't want that option. I mean, I would definitely leave that option on because I can see a noticeable bump
0: in revenue when there are elections on my YouTube channel. Uh, okay. And that is no joke. Like, I can point out when the UK election occurred and when the Brexit vote occurred by my AdSense charts. Like, is, <laughs> it, is, it is quite remarkable. So I would definitely leave those on. I actually do think somewhere in the bowels of YouTube... There is an option to specify, to not
1: have certain kinds of ads show. I think that once existed, but I'm not sure if it still does. If it does, it's buried. Yeah. Because I once used it. I mean, have you got any principles? Like if, of course, course, I'm not saying you're an unprincipled person, but when it comes to like the advertising. Uh, I think that's clearly what you're saying there. (laughs) Like, can you envisage any kind of organization that could conceivably advertise on YouTube you not wanting- them or to be on your videos, that you're not wanting them to benefit from the exposure your video has created. I'm trying to think of an example, but it's really hard. Uh, Here's the reason why you know. I think it's it's hard, especially because of
0: the details that matter in, say, a news story, about how the advertising is done on YouTube, which is that it's an auction. If you can imagine a scenario where, say, some terrorist recruiting network is putting up recruitment ads on YouTube, I, I just can't conceive of any scenario where they could possibly win the instantaneous auction that takes place for which ad is going to be the ad that shows on a YouTube video. There's just economics working against the worst of the worst advertisers because it's not going to be ROI positive.
1: I'm talking about like a big rich, like, you know, like arms dealers or something like that. People that do have money, but they have their money through means that you might not think appropriate but
0: what are the arms dealers trying to sell on youtube this is the problem right it's a mass audience kind of thing and so i just feel like okay some arms dealer who are they selling to i wonder in america are there gun commercials on youtube if you're if you're watching a youtube video in texas will there be advertisements Mm. for guns i don't know i don't know how that works i've never seen one in the uk Mm. but i think someone who is trying to sell weapons in the united kingdom is not going to have an roi positive campaign on their youtube spending money
1: (laughs) There is one good thing that could come of the Times as article. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this justifies them having a half-baked article or right. whatever. I'm not passing judgment, but this is a side effect, which I think could come about. And that is when these companies, Mercedes-Benz is the one I can remember, but there were some other ones mm-hmm. named, are suddenly on the front page of the Times being associated with advertising on ISIS videos- Right. In a deeply unfair way. Got it. In a deeply unfair way, but also accurate. You know, their point zero 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 one of a cent yeah. did go to the person who uploaded that video. It's
0: technically correct. Yeah.
1: But what I'm saying is what that does do is it creates incredible pressure on YouTube itself to get its act together with the way they're filtering content that shouldn't be on the platform. So suddenly the people who are in charge of making sure, you know, terrorism videos don't sneak through the gaps suddenly have a lot more pressure leaning on them. Because if you and I complain about it, they don't care. But if the big companies with their advertising budgets start saying, what the hell's going on? We're going to pull all our ads from YouTube until you sort this out, because we don't want to be on the front page of the Times again. It does bring great pressure to bear. Nothing puts pressure on YouTube more than the advertisers being upset. We creators can complain until the cows come home. But if the person who spends Mercedes-Benz advertising budget picks up the phone and says, what are you going to do about these terrorism videos that keep popping up? Suddenly, it's like all hands to the pump. Yeah, that's a nice
0: theoretical story that you have there. I, I, I would wonder if Mercedes does call. It seems like YouTube is pretty serious about doing the best they can to keep the really horrible content off of YouTube, like the, the one actual use of the report button, and of course the army of YouTube heroes who I presume are working for YouTube now. I don't <laughs> know how that program's working out. <laughs> I haven't heard much about that uh, since it originally was launched. Uh, yeah, y- the advertisers are the actual customer and source of money for YouTube. It's, it's not a bad thing. Like as an institution, that has to be one of their primary concerns is making sure that the advertisers are happy. I would love to know, but I'm not exactly sure that a newspaper article in the Times is going to, one, have a company call up YouTube to exert pressure, and two, result in an actual real internal change in YouTube that wasn't going to occur anyway, or that isn't already
1: being done. I don't agree with you. Okay, one article, maybe, but the general principle is that once like, Traditional media, like you know, that politicians and Mm -hmm, people mm -hmm. read, they do create pressures that people like you and me complaining on YouTube don't create. But I think it does work. I mean, there's a practical example, and again, this wasn't one article, it was a series of articles. Mm -hmm. But you look at the, I'm sorry to talk about sport, but I promise it'll be quick. The guy who is in charge of FIFA, Mm -hmm. the people that run soccer, was really corrupt mm-hmm. but no one could get rid of him like he wasn't moving no matter what was said no what was done like he had support from all the people he needed support from he couldn't be removed from the presidency and as soon as two or three of the big companies that advertise with FIFA like their big corporate sponsors worth you know billions and billions of dollars started saying we just can't be associated with FIFA anymore all of this bad publicity is just so bad for our brand we're pulling our sponsorship the president was gone within a few weeks, Mm -hmm. when advertisers start feeling like their brand is being damaged and they pull away from something, that's when action happens. And even though Mercedes-Benz have done nothing wrong, their brand is being damaged by being seen on like a terrorism video on the front page of the newspaper. That does create change. I made this one article, you know, it's one article and we might all shake it off, but this sort of thing is what does create change. I know what you're saying here, but I just think these are uncomparable situations
0: because YouTube already has an incredible motivation to do everything that it can to keep extremist content off of its channel, right? Whereas FIFA as an organization does not have an incredible desire to keep itself squeaky clean all the time. In fact, it has the reverse.
1: I think these are different scenarios. I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. I think YouTube's incentive to keep bad material off the platform only extends as far as how they can handle the bad publicity, and the flack and the loss of advertising and the criticism. Other than that, why would they care? And of course, they can put mechanisms in place, but it's like the tombstone imperative with planes. You know, how much do aircraft companies spend on safety of planes? You know, they measure that against how much they're going to get sued by people dying in a crash. Yeah, of course. It's the same with YouTube. How much are they going to invest in keeping the platform clear of bad content Mm -hmm. is directly proportional to how- Their relationship is going to be affected with advertisers and bad publicity and things like that. And the more bad publicity it attracts, and the more pushback they get from advertisers, the more they're going to invest in keeping the platform clean. Don't get me wrong. My argument here is not like,
0: YouTube, the people are better and they care about a thing. I'm just looking at the incentives. And I think YouTube has a real incentive to keep this stuff off the platform, because every video has the potential to be a viral video. Right. And so like they want to shut that down as much and as fast as possible because it damages the YouTube brand if there's some like horrible terrorist video on the channel. I'm just saying, like, I think they probably already have as big of an incentive as they possibly can to try to keep that stuff off.
1: Not as big as they possibly can, because, you know, at the moment they're using these volunteer heroes instead of employing people to do certain things. I'm not criticizing YouTube for a flood of extremist videos. I've never seen an (laughs) extremist video on (laughs) YouTube. This is all like a theoretical
0: discussion because I've never seen anything like this on YouTube. But you
1: know, I don't think YouTube is pouring all the resources it could pour into certain things to improve the platform. And what I'm saying is it will only improve things on the platform. Freebooting is another example. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's, that's the creators complaining about, which they care about much less. <laughs> yeah. And that's my point. They won't fix anything until it has an advertising implication. I think the best action you can take against freebooting, and I've said this before, but I sort of say it quietly, when you have a video freebooted, mm-hmm. And then there's an advertisement on it for a toothpaste company on the free booted version. The best thing you should do is make a whole bunch of noise to the toothpaste company and say, hey, toothpaste company, you just advertised on a stolen video. That was my video. Can I have the advertising, please? You should be compensating me, not the person who, you know, and get up in the face of the toothpaste company. And then the toothpaste company is like, what the hell? What's going on? We've got no idea what you're talking about. They contact YouTube and say, what's this person making all this noise about? Like, I just bought some advertising off you. I have no idea what you put it on. Someone's complaining that I owe them money because I've advertised on their video. And that is what's going to make YouTube say, bloody hell, we need to sort out this copyright situation. It's not going to be creators complaining. It's going to be advertisers saying, we're getting flack about this now. What are we supposed to do? And then YouTube's going to say, oh, we've got to shut this up now. Okay, let's get serious about freebooting. I'm curious, have you actually done that at any point? I think I have once or twice, I have trivially done it. (laughs) Don't talk yourself up too much there, Brady. (laughs) I haven't done it like as a campaign Mm -hmm. and like, you know, systematically done it. But I have discussed it with some of my friends too. I just don't want to get involved in like that big a mess. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the mess that would fix freebooting. I think the thing that will fix freebooting is if every time we see a freebooted video, we make a note of who's advertised on it and contact those companies and say, your money has gone to this person for a video they didn't create. I created it. I think I should have that money and see what they say. And of course, you're never going to get that money, mm-hmm. but it is going to make them go indirectly through their advertising companies to YouTube and say, what the hell's going on, man? We're getting all this flack on Twitter. We get all this noise is being made. We're being made to look bad because apparently we're advertising on stolen videos. We don't even know what this is about. I've never even heard the word freebooting. Can you just make this problem go away, please? Or we're going to stop advertising on YouTube. Then YouTube will say, Oh, God. All right. Yep. Guys, let's fix freebooting.
0: Well, I look forward to a front page Times article about (laughs) these companies advertising on evil freebooting channels.
1: (laughs) It's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Just replace extremist content with freebooted content. Yeah. It's just not quite as sexy for the newspaper. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But instead of the Times making the noise, it has to be maybe us. But can we make enough noise? Probably not. You got real fatalistic in the end there, Brady.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're all rah, rah, rah. And then sad, deflated balloon.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know. I have ideas, but I don't want to execute them because I just don't want to get involved in the mess sometimes. Yeah, it's a good thing to keep in mind. Sometimes
0: some ideas are very messy to execute and you're better off just forgetting about them. This episode of Hello Internet is also brought to you by Squarespace. If you are launching any kind of creative project, starting a business or doing anything online, your next move is to go to Squarespace to create a website. Squarespace gives you a beautiful and powerful online platform with which to launch your next project. Squarespace is always my go-to recommendation for people when they want to make a website because it is good for anything. If you want to show off a simple portfolio of your work, you just need to be able to have a contact page and some images. That's a thing that they can do for you so easily. If you want to run a business and sell products online, there's a whole store integration that you can use. If you just want to set up a website for your local organization or club or anything like that, Squarespace is also the easiest thing to do. You can just use their beautiful built-in templates and never have to think of it again. It will just run solidly. It doesn't requiring the kind of tinkering and monkeying around that many other services do. It's a beautiful and simple all-in-one platform with nothing to install, patch, or ever upgrade. And Squarespace has award-winning 24-7 customer support. So if you need help with anything, Squarespace is there for you. So listen, I know there's something in your head right now that you're thinking, I'd like to make a website for that. Well, if that's you, just get started right now. Go to squarespace.com hello to make your next website today and get a free trial, no credit card required. That's squarespace.com hello. Squarespace is what I use to host the Hello Internet podcast and is what you should use to make your next project. So make your next move
1: with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Can I give you a couple of listener emails to lighten the mood? Please go ahead, Brady. All right. This is a funny one. This tickled me. This came from someone whose name I don't know. And they were going for like a job interview at a graduate recruitment type thing. Here we go. You seem to like Tim's stories, so I have one from today. I went to an interview, and for whatever reason, we had to choose someone famous that we liked. And I chose Gray for various reasons. Brackets. I bet he'd hate that.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's true.
1: But I had to speak a bit about him. And as I did, someone at the interview asked me if I was a Tim. I was shocked to find a Tim in the most unlikely of settings. And we spoke a bit about the podcast and stuff, and it was nice. Confirmed we were on the same side of the flag debate as a top priority, of course. (laughs) Okay. So this is a nice start. He's chosen you as his famous person in the interview and he's met a listener. But then it continues. What I didn't know in picking CGP Grey, though, is that we were then given a task. We had to pretend to be that person and imagine that you and four others in your group, these other people who were doing the interview, were on a boat the boat is going to sink unless two people get off and we had to decide who to kick out of the boat. Everybody fought their corner, but when it came to my turn, I thought the most grey thing to do would be to respond by saying, let's just leave it to chance since we can't rank human life so easily. Ultimately, nobody else agreed and CGP was kicked off the boat along with another sportsman while Michelle Obama and someone I can't recall, another sportsman, was saved. So, by trying to channel you, Gray, he got himself kicked off the boat and died. What kind of interview was this? I don't know. It sounds like, you know, that's the kind of stuff people do these days. Is
0: this standard operating procedure a job interview? It It does happen sometimes. It's It's
1: how they can assess how you work in teams and groups. I had a funny story like this. I'll come to that in a minute. But first of all, the thing that this Tim wants to know after he failed in this- He he didn't get the job, by the way, either, but that's another thing. (laughs) What he wants to know is, did he act correctly by Gray- How would Gray react to this? Did he do the right thing when he was asked to to fight his corner on the boat when they were deciding whether these two sports players, Michelle Obama or CGP Gray, you know, what two should be kicked off? Did he play it right? I know this is very hard to ask you because you are the actual CGP Gray, (laughs) but what do you think?
0: Well, when you're laying out the scenario of you're in Mm. a boat, right, it's sinking. Instantly, many, many details matter in this hypothetical no (laughs) no no no. okay don't no don't get exasperated you're being mr easter bunny isn't real now no i'm not being that easter bunny isn't real but it does matter because what i want to know is essentially how close is this to like the zombie apocalypse scenario are we in the middle of the ocean is no one ever going to know what happened on this boat because if we are then he's totally right that i would propose (laughs) like let's draw straws Let's do this the fair way and see who gets kicked off the boat. But if I draw the short straw, I am going to literally try to murder everybody else on that boat right before <laughs> getting kicked off. Because what do I have to lose?
1: What about honour?
0: What about just being honourable and like dying with dignity? Dying with dignity is for suckers, right? I'm not doing okay. that. However, however, there's a meta question here which is you're on a job interview and somebody is asking you this question about like, what would this person do? it's like, don't give that answer. Don't say, oh, I, I would murder everybody if I draw the short straw. It's
1: not a good answer to give in a job interview. Well, let me tell you what happened in my job interview. I had this job interview for a BBC position, mm-hmm. like a you know, secondment for a year or so. And they put four of us all going for the same job, which is interesting in itself because it, already you're kind of like, you're with your rivals. They put four of us in a circle And the people interviewing us, like, were in the corners, like, just watching and, like, taking notes. What happened was we were assigned, like, a big story we had to cover. We had to do a report on. We were given the rough outline of what the story was, and we had to, like, I don't know what the word you'd use is, like, you know, workshop the ideas Mm -hmm. and decide how we were going to tackle the story, Mm -hmm. like, as a team. Mm -hmm. And everyone was saying a few ideas, and I stayed pretty quiet. And then I had what I thought was a really good idea. And like most of my ideas, it was a bit out of left field. And I said, okay, everyone, here's my idea. And I told them all like this crazy plan, like we'd cover it like this and we'd do it this different way and it would be really creative and clever. And they all kind of just nodded and went, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a a really good idea, you know, thanks for your contribution. Mm -hmm. And then they just completely ignored me and went back to discussing all the old-fashioned boring ways of doing it that Mm -hmm. I didn't like. Mm -hmm. And I basically just spat the dummy. And I was like, oh, fine. I'm just around a bunch of non-creative people. I can't win. And I just sat there in the corner and, like, apparently I was- I learned later from the people who were observing me. I started, like, fiddling my foot up and down and, like, looking irritable. And I I just sort of went quiet Mm -hmm. and stopped contributing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, I got the job. (laughs) And I sort of said to the person who gave me the job, like, oh, you know, like this was, you know- a long time later, we were mm-hmm. talking about the interview and I said, why did I get the job? Like, you know, because they were all much nicer than me. And and he said, your idea was so ridiculously good mm-hmm. that the minute you said it and all the other people like ignored it and didn't realize it was a good idea, they just ruled themselves all out instantly. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just thought it was funny that you sat there like so obviously infuriated that no one could see your good idea. And we just wanted to employ someone who had good ideas. So, like, it was to, like, observe our teamwork and see Mm -hmm. how well we work in a team. Mm -hmm. And, like, I clearly don't work well in a team and showed that. But Mm -hmm. they didn't care because they were like, well, I guess we don't really want a team player. We just want someone who's going to have a few ideas. Teamwork is overrated. I agree. I agree. (laughs) We all know teamwork
0: really means there's one or two horses pulling 80% of the weight. Yeah. (laughs)
1: And everybody else is in the cart. (laughs) That's what teamwork means. Yeah. (laughs) I want to quickly mention another listener who I've ignored for too long. I've been meaning to bring this up for a few episodes and I haven't. This person has gone above and beyond the call of duty, so I think should get a quick mention. There's someone called Nick. Nick says, Hello Internet was the first podcast I ever listened to. This started me on a journey to discover my love for the medium. To commemorate and thank you both, I decided to show my true loyalty and I've gotten a nail and gear tattoo. I've attached the image below. Thank you both. For some wonderful hours so let me show you nick's nail and gear tattoo it's not the only tattoo nick's got on his arm as you can see that is uh that
0: is quite a decision it is It is. I feel like I I don't quite want the burden of that decision.
1: Well, you didn't make it. It's all right. This was done before either of us knew about it. Yes. No, that's true. You did make the image publicly available, though. So I think you have got some responsibility.
0: Uh, No, that's not how that works (laughs) at all. By giving the image to the people to do with what they want, I think, is the exact reverse of claiming responsibility for how the image is
1: used. Well, no, you did, you're not responsible. You enabled it. Oh, enabling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're enabling. Yeah, enabling. That's
0: true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get me to argue against that one. All right. You know, maximum enabling.
1: So we've had Nick's permission. We'll put a picture in the show notes for anyone who wants to see the nail and gear tattoo. And maybe we'll also link to the image in case you too want to get a nail and gear tattoo. Mm. I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you if you have a tattoo. I mean, do you need to ask? <laughs> it makes it sound like I've seen you naked. <laughs> yes, I do need to ask because I have not seen you naked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We've revealed too much. <laughs> of, of course, I don't have a tattoo, Brady. No, there's no way I would ever get a tattoo. Do, actually, do you have a tattoo? You seem like a guy who would get a tattoo. What tattoo would I have? I don't know. You'd have something that mattered in the moment. I can totally see you getting a tattoo. Yeah. You know, just because you walked past a tattoo parlor and there was a thought on your head. So I'm like, Comic book character you liked when you were 18 and were legally old enough to yeah. get a tattoo. Like something that has the lifespan of a gnat is the kind of thing that you would have as a tattoo.
1: Yeah, I've got one here that says "The Phantom Menace is going to be awesome." <laughs> right? Yes. I love Beta video cassettes.
0: <laughs> yeah. Honest to God, Brady, I-, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if you had something like that on your lower back. Really? Right? I just, I, just, I really wouldn't. I could totally see you having a tattoo easily. Do you? No, I do not. I'm actually mildly surprised that there isn't a secret Brady tattoo
1: somewhere. I'd say I'm anti-tattoo. Really? Why? I don't know. I don't mind other people getting it. Like, I don't think less of them. Yes, it's people's bodies to do with what they want. <laughs> yeah, but I just, you know, I'm a bit of a fence sitter. I'm not one mm-hmm. to be permanent. And mm-hmm. they're not to my taste. They're not to my mm-hmm. aesthetic taste sometimes. But, you know, teach each their own. I mean, the nail and gear is a beautiful design. It is a beautiful design. Democratically chosen. <laughs> I tell you what, flaggy flag would not be a good tattoo. It's true. It very hard it's to true. get a good flaggy flag tattoo. No, that wouldn't work I at all. I can't wait till someone gets a flaggy flag tattoo. i tell you what, that's dedication to the cause for the rebel scum. If you really love flaggy flag so much, let's see your flaggy <laughs> flag tattoos, people. Yeah? Yeah? Go
0: on. You're playing with fire here, baby. <laughs> You're playing with people's lives here. That's what you're doing. <laughs> Don't do this.
1: All right. Don't listen to the Brady people. Don't listen Don't to Don't get a flaggy flag tattoo. You're just branding yourself as a loser then. Literally. The
0: thing that I'm worried about is I can imagine some Brady-like person who is listening to the podcast who's walking past a tattoo parlor right now who, like you, could just be influenced for a moment to do a thing. So, no.
1: Hang on a second, Gray. Just because you came up with this fantasy <laughs> that I get- whimsical tattoos, like, for no apparent reason. I thought we then established you were wrong and I have not done this. So don't say that that's a Brady-like thing to do. I've never done it. You haven't
0: done it. I'm just simply saying that if, if we wait long enough and you walk past enough tattoo parlors, I feel like it's inevitable that at some point you would think it was a good enough idea to do. I really do. No. Next time you visit London, I'm going to I'm gonna keep walking you past tattoo parlors. You don't really know casually. me, Gray.
1: You don't know me. You're like, oh. Look at that. Look at that butterfly. Isn't it pretty? (laughs) Nah, I'm a total square bear. Hard as nails. You know, I wouldn't make a noise when it was being done. Of course. I'd be tough. No, I don't think it's for me. But hey, you know, tomorrow's another day.